0: hey welcome to the best practice podcast i'm your host zach fennessey and i'm joined by master ana planner donna schumar during this podcast journey we hope to explore high-level anaplan modeling concepts and connect you the listener with the expert ana planners that are at the forefront of the platform's innovation
1: stay tuned for thought-provoking conversations with our amazing guests we plan to feature guests that span multiple industries such as retail finance supply chain sales and many others as well as bringing in pioneers in advanced data modeling and data integrations our goal is to provide our audience with as much free knowledge value and insights into the ecosystem so we hope you join
0: us in that mission welcome back to the best practice podcast i'm your host zach Fennessy. as always i'm joined by my co-host and producer john Furneau. on the guest mic today i'd like to introduce you all to chad pike He's best known for being a talent partner over at CoThrive, a talent partner that helps companies in the SaaS and EPM space to find the difference maker type talent that's available in the market. Or you may also know him as a fellow podcast host at the EPM show where they strive to keep you in the know on all current things happening in the enterprise performance management space. So without further ado, Chad, thanks for joining the show. What's going on, guys? This is going to be fun. We've been admirers
2: of the best practice for a long time, so I'm excited we're doing this
0: same and i and I gave my sentiments on your show, and you know you know that we feel the same as well, so we're super excited to talk with you today. Uh, I gave you a quick intro to you, but if you don't mind, giving a little bit more detail uh, about yourself uh interests, hobbies, you, you know brief career background, and ultimately what you're doing today
2: yeah, absolutely. so I grew up in kind of the corporate insurance space, my first job out of college was into a leadership development program, so I kind of worked in Operations, led teams, uh, data analytics, sales strategy specifically. Uh, pivoted over to a broker after about three years um, doing strategic partnerships work. And, you know, at that point, um, I'd had enough corporate experience to know what I really wanted to do and what I didn't want to do um, and had the opportunity to to become a little bit more entrepreneurial. And jumped into you know talent acquisition, recruiting, headhunting, kind of more executive search. Now is where we're headed to, with a good friend and mentor, Blake Bozarth, who founded Cothrive, and um, we came into the EPM space specifically because Blake had a background in EPM, and so we've just been students of the space ever since. Love it; it's it's growing. Uh, I don't know if you can find uh, an industry that has the kind of growth potential EPM does, paired with the stability. I think when you just think about the functions and the capabilities of of EPM, and then you know, outside of work, uh, my wife and I live in Charlotte. We um, we've got a dog named Banks, and I, you know, pre working was a was a college wrestler, so I love all things Olympics, wrestling, sports. Um, Big hiker as well so we love anything we can do outdoors that's competitive also a uh uh amateur pickleball player who's trying to improve every single day i got waxed this week though so i'm I'm not in the best mood as y'all know when it comes to pickleball
0: (laughs) yeah we were talking about that earlier and i think there's an emphasis on the amateur part i don't i don't mean to to harp on that but obviously not making a ton of money uh from that venture at the moment not yet it's coming. The sponsors are
2: coming. I'm telling you. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm not, not a trained professional. Don't take pickleball advice from me, but it's fun.
0: <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, we'll, we'll know you're at that point when the second podcast starts up, the pickleball podcast. Um, That's we'll, right, we'll, pickleball we'll looking, show. looking forward to that. You hear that Blake? That's our next show. <laughs> <laughs> so talking about that, that past career experience, um, You didn't have a direct role in the EPM space, but I'd love to know, and we've talked about this in some of our prior conversations, but how does your past career experience inform you of like the current goals and challenges in this new industry that you're in right now? Because I think there is crossover.
2: Yeah, absolutely. That's a good question. Um, You know, I think a couple of things here. Number one, when you're coming into a space and you don't have like a Bunch of preconceived notions. You have the opportunity to be a pretty unbridled thinker, which which can lead to innovation and wanting to do things differently. Hence the hence the EPM show, right? And that was a way for us. You know, spoiler alert to also learn because we were able to interview some of the best people in the space, and we and we were able to get up to speed um, quickly. So you know, I'd say as far as our current goals, it's to be the go-to talent partner and talent advisory for anyone, whether you're an implementation partner. Or an Anaplan customer, and you need to hire talent. We want you to think of co thrive, um, and I think because of the way we've approached it and tried to bring a fresh perspective from a talent acquisition and recruiting standpoint, I think I think we're going to accomplish that. Um, and as far as challenges go, it's it's your typical challenges when you're navigating a transition or new to a space. There's a there's a learning curve that you have to that you have to get up. And so, you know, I would say those are kind of the that's the ch- that's the goal, and then the challenge is the learning curve.
0: Absolutely, uh, yeah, you're definitely tapped into a, a good resource pool to learn from. Uh, you've had some really awesome guests on the show. Um, I, I think it's also important to note that uh, just sort of the piece that you talked about with with utilizing your own kind of understanding of, of learning a new space, and, and there's a lot of people that you are you know helping place or, or find talent with, and, and and there might not be the direct experience but but there's certain other talent me- like measurables that can be um kind of i guess uh evaluated per se yeah absolutely and and you know our
2: goal with the EPM show and in in our business and what we do is to give people an unfair career advantage and so we're not the I'm not an architect I'm not a model builder but we can prepare people for interviews and we know about the space and we can help people make career plans and think about, hey, if you're at a customer, what does career growth look like beyond leading a COE, right? How do you expand? I think on the consulting side, it's a little bit easier to create a path because you can move senior consultant, principal consultant, senior manager, partner, so on and so forth, right? But on the customer side, what does that career growth look like? And those are the types of conversations
0: that we can we can have. Yeah, I love that. And and I I really want to dive into that. And and kind of pose the question of like how you would how would you market a current job candidate that has unrelated prior experience but they are kind of trying to push you know into that next level role uh, in advance in their career um i'll give you a good example that i think this would be a good kind of test here is take myself for example um Back in my Anaplan support days, I I wanted to kind of branch into consulting, into model building, into more of a direct technical role. What advice would you have given me at the time, um, you know, to market myself and make myself a better candidate for some of those roles?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I would say two things. First, I'm going to steal what you said on our show, which is if you want to do something different, you have to do something different. So whatever your current role is, networking and finding out ways to add on additional projects or experiences that can relate and that can transfer well so you know if you reverse engineer your goal so if my goal is to be a master and planner master and planner and technical expert well let me go talk to master and a planners and technical experts and ask them how did you get there what was your path and then begin to understand that path and chart your own course from where you are today Um, So that's, that's the first thing I would say is really think about how do you like for yourself, reverse engineering. And then your the second thing I would say, um, when you get an opportunity, and you're maybe in an interview, and you know that, let's say you have 70% of the listed experience that someone's looking for. Don't wait for them to ask you about the other 30, go on the offense, and address it head on and say, Hey, here's the experience that I'm lacking. I understand that. Here's my plan for how I would get up that learning curve much more quickly. And here's why that's a good thing for you, because you demonstrate, two th- you demonstrate a few things there. The first thing you demonstrate is self-awareness, which what we say is anyone in the EPM space, if you have the technical experience, and then you have the soft skills, we think you can write your ticket. And so by demonstrating self-awareness, you're demonstrating an aspect of of soft skills. Um, The second thing that you're demonstrating is your willingness to be proactive and take on more. And I think if you do that, you're gonna put yourself in the top 10% of any candidate pool. Because a lot of candidates, especially more experienced ones, might rest on their laurels a little bit and what experiences they have. And depending on the hiring manager you're interviewing with, If they're looking for and indexing on people who are innovative, creative, outside-the-box thinkers, you're probably going to get a little bit more creativity from the less experienced people if you're willing to dig in and train a little bit more. So part of it is picking your spot there. So you know the two things I would say is do something different, get outside your comfort zone in your current role. And the second is when you're in an interview, if you have gaps, go on the offense and address them ahead of time.
1: That's, uh, that's amazing advice. You know, it really is an unfair career advantage. Just hearing that we deal with a lot of people in, in the Anna plan space specifically who lack some of that experience. There's a lot of imposter syndrome as you're ramping up, you know, it's, it's difficult, it's complex, especially if you're not coming from a history of, you know, EPM tools or, or any of these uh, planning and forecasting tools, you've never been a consultant before. So we get asked all the time, you know, how do we mentor? Uh, how, what do we suggest they they learn to be able to position themselves to get these roles, and a lot of times they're turned away because of experience. You know, every business wants an experienced person. They want top talent at low dollar price, and it's just sometimes unrealistic to to expect that. But it's really hard for some of these younger uh, people in the space to break in because they're kind of mentally roadblocked at that. What do I do? I'm not good enough, or I'm I haven't been here long enough. It's that. Uh, that catch 22 you need a you need a car to get a job you need a job to get a car You're kind of stuck in that cycle and that loop so uh, we appreciate the insight and i think it's it's money being able to say hey go out there and speak to the people who've done it learn from them and and create your own kind of mentorship uh, program
2: yeah absolutely and i think you know i think one of the challenges too is anyone who's been a job seeker knows that it's a, it's a grind in and of itself seeking a job is a full-time job unfortunately um, but sometimes it's just a volume game, like go find, if you want to be a master and a planner, go find a hundred of them and reach out and you might only get a 5% response rate. But if you have five respond to you and one or two appreciate you and are open to getting to know you and you can develop a real relationship with them and find ways to add value to them, whatever that looks like, then Those are the ways that you can open doors, but it is, it is hard work. It is a grind. It takes discipline, um, to execute on it consistently. And you gotta, you have to have this balance of, I think like radical patience to be like, I'm going to keep pressing into this until progress happens, but also like radical urgency to say, I'm not going to stop until something comes.
0: Yeah. I think it's important to, uh, uh, you know, clarify there's don't do it in a certain way. But I, but I agree with, especially with a lot of the mentality aspect of it as well. Oh yeah. Yeah. Right. I
2: mean, I don't mean be, I don't mean be pushy with the individual, like be kind and courteous. And I mean, more of like your day-to-day activity, driven. right. Yeah. Of what you're doing as an individual. Like I'm like, I have a goal, so I'm going to wake up every day and, and pursue that goal. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. don't, don't be banging down people's doors. Cause that'll get very annoying. <laughs>
0: there are uh, there that is a type so yeah but they but be consistent yeah i i'd argue that maybe their advancement opportunities are slimmer than the average despite having that drive um, yeah, oh yeah there is a finesse yeah. or a way to go about it um, right
2: that's the soft skills aspect that we're talking about absolutely. you know what i mean Huge. people have to l- learn to like you
0: <laughs> absolutely i'd love to know uh obviously, I think you have a really unique perspective and you've probably been a part of some, uh, kind of behind the doors type conversations with a lot of these things that occur during this hiring process. Um, I'd love to know sort of, you know, what are some of the conversations you have with hiring managers? You know, obviously I'm sure you're advocating for certain people and, and giving your perspective, um, on, you know, obviously the person and their fit for the role. Um, but what are some of also some of the, uh, behind the scenes conversations. Like per se, if I go in and I have an interview, you know, amongst a couple of managers, you know, I don't get to see what happens after the zoom meeting closes or I leave the building from the interview. So if you don't mind, kind of obviously don't want to give away too much, but love to know how some of those conversations go and what are some of the key discussions that are occurring there?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, And I think think it's important for A job seeker, someone who's a model builder, and they're just now finishing their level two, becoming a solution architect, and they want to get that next step, like what happens? Um, What happens behind the scenes? You know, from our perspective, we are always advocating for a win-win, right? An employer has their desired skill set, what they're looking for, what that job responsibility entails. They have a budget that's finite that's the reality. And they have a timeline that they're trying to stick to. And we want to find a candidate that can fulfill all of those three. But then I, I, you know, I think most of our conversations behind the scenes probably actually don't necessarily even, I'd say most of our conversations, 80% of our conversations behind the scenes aren't actually about those three categories I just mentioned, the responsibilities, the compensation, the, the timeline. And it's more about the fit with the hiring manager. Like fit is, fit is key because there are certain skill sets on that list of responsibilities that you can learn and learn quickly. There are some that the hiring manager is like, these are must-haves that need to happen, right? And so our job is to is to figure out what those are and figure out what can be learned. And so we, we might discuss that a little bit, but really a lot of it is about how does that hiring manager and that candidate, how do they fit together, right? If you have two people that have similar they're similar in all three of those other categories and one gels with the hiring manager better than another. And they, they'd establish that rapport and that connection. Who do you think the manager is going to hire the person with the rapport and the connection? Um, and so we, we focus a lot of time and energy on that because companies want to hire for culture too, right? Especially the good ones. So, uh, you know, I would say if you're interviewing at a company, one of the most important things that you can do Is establish a relationship throughout that interview process with the hiring manager like they should leave the interview being like i would really love to work with that person if they leave and that's kind of the thought process in their head you've you've set yourself up for success we can't guarantee an outcome but you've set yourself up for success and so part of that can go that goes beyond just the job description right and the the technical experience it's it's establishing connections that's that's what i would counsel folks on as they're going into a competitive job market, a competitive interview process is how do I establish connection with every person that I interview with? Because these are humans interacting
0: with humans, making decisions about humans,
2: right? So be a human.
0: <laughs> you know, I love that. And I, and I think that, uh, a, a kind of a key piece there too, is like, even if you don't get the job, I think that you can still win by leaving a certain impression because, As we know, and it's kind of cliche to say, like these things do really like matter. They do come back around or they could eventually like the, you know, don't burn bridges type mentality. It's true. You know, uh, I can't tell you how many times we've, you know, planned to work with somebody, you know, on XYZ project, it fell through a year later, we get a call out of the blue and, you know, we're talking up a totally different discussion about a different opportunity or whatever it might be. And I think that that just kind of goes with a lot of networking and how a lot of these conversations and communication go amongst companies, people, uh, you know, working relationships and all that.
2: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I'm a a pretty simple and pretty direct guy. So I like to keep things pretty simple. But I, I think if you set a goal in your career of leaving as many like lasting good impressions as you can and honing your craft as best as you can if you do those two things over 20 30 maybe 40 year career you're going to end up in a pretty good spot at the end of the day so hone your craft get better if it's anaplan learn the product and learn a little bit more about the product every single day and the people you work with make sure they leave feeling you know really positive about your interaction like hey we got great work done they know their stuff and we it was an enjoyable experience. You do those two things over the course of your career, opportunities will be coming to you. I think at the end of the day, and and sometimes that's harder for folks than others, just because of where where people are gifted. So my encouragement, if you're like, well, I, I have a hard time building connections, interpersonal skills are where I struggle. You put that th- those things can be learned, right? You put time and effort into learning and a plan that requires you to get into the product, to take the courses, take the training. Get experience, you put time into that. Communication, soft skills, influencing, it works the same way. Read about it. Talk to people who in your company are, you're like, man, they're just, they're, they're a great influencer. They have great rapport, they have a great reputation. And set a meeting with them and say, hey, I want to grow in this area. I admire you because I think this is a strong suit of yours. Can you tell me how you approach building relationships in the workplace and what that looks like? And so I think if you can make it more tactical, it can help people grow in that area.
1: Yeah, I think that's huge, especially the piece, you know, um, it's about who you know at, at a certain level, right? Skills come and go, and the more technical skills you can learn, especially if you have a a good knack for, for learning and figuring it out as you go, some of those soft skills are typically more difficult. Um, you'll see people younger to the space that need to maybe focus a little bit more on those soft skills and networking and building relationships because... Yeah, you'll get in based on some of your skills, but as you progress through your career, if you're fresh out of college, you know, the one thing I learned early on was it's less about what you know and more about who you know, because who you know will give you the opportunity to learn more. Uh, So that's a really good insight. But when it comes to staffing for EPM, what are some of the key traits or characteristics that you of candidates that you look for to fill these roles and do they kind of differentiate between some of the different ERPs, CRMs and tools like that?
2: Yeah, it's it's a good question and it kind of aligns with a lot of what we've already talked about. The technical skill set is the technical skill set, right? Like we want to know what types of use cases have you worked on. Tell me about if you're coming out of consulting, what types of engagements, what types of clients have you worked on? Right. If we're helping an insurance company hire, hire a solution architect and you've worked with insurance clients before, that's a positive. Right. Um, and, And so, yeah, I think it's knowing the types of use cases you've been on, the roles that you've played in the projects. Have you been client facing or have you been more behind the scenes building models like if you're kind of on that cusp of mod, like senior model builder to solution architect, have you been able to work alongside an, an established, experienced architect before? What what did that look like? Um, so we'll dig into the the technical experience, and part of that's just them telling their story. The other thing that we're looking for when they're telling the story is how well do they communicate who they are, because that directly impacts how they represent themselves and how they present to to a potential employer. So I think that's, you know, the, that's the other thing that we're looking at is how do they represent themselves? And that, that matters. It, it really does matter. And no, no one's perfect, but we should know our own story and be able to articulate it. I think if you really want to make a big impact on your own interviewing skills, like if you're, if I'm the audience and I, you know, and I want to know, like, how do I, how do I do better in an interview? Practice telling your story, like write that down. You know what I mean? It's not in your resume. It's not anything you necessarily need to show anybody, but tell people how you got to where you are today and get to where you can do it in about 90 seconds or less. And they'll ask follow-up questions about certain things that you say. But if you can get really articulate in in that, I think that'll set you up very well. So we look for that. You know, I think the other thing that we look for that's always the game changer is someone's, I think aptitude might be the right word. Like what's their drive? What's their growth potential? Um, because what we, a common trend we see in hiring decisions that companies make is a lot of times they'll take a less experienced person who they think has a higher growth potential. And so if you can communicate and, and learn to present yourself in a way that shows your growth potential, because I think everyone has great growth potential. It's just a matter of how do I present that? How do I talk about that? So we look for those kinds of things. Does that answer your question?
1: Yeah, I think you know, you made a really good point. Learn to tell your story, kind of craft your elevator pitch, so to speak. We talk about it all the time in sales and selling the product or or selling the consulting uh, project to a, to a client and all the things you walk through and how the product can benefit them. But at the end of the day, if you're trying to get yourself into this marketplace or advance into a different position that you may not be totally skilled up for, you know, learn how to tell your story and how you got there and emphasize, you know, your growth potential, your growth mindset, your ambition, and your resilience along the way. Cause it's not easy, right? If it was easy, everybody would be doing it and there wouldn't be any, any food left over for the rest of us. So it, it can be difficult.
2: Absolutely. And I, you know, I think when you're, here's the other thing that someone might think, oh, if I'm interviewing for a role as a model builder, And how do I, how do I emphasize like my growth potential or my aptitude? You don't have to give an EPM specific example to that, to like that question or to do that. Like talk about another area of your life. It it could be unrelated to work. It could be a volunteer project that you took on at your church or in school. If you're, if you're relatively new in your career, right. Or, or with a charitable organization that you volunteer with and you knew nothing about it, but you upskilled quickly and you delivered impact, like those stories still work because the intangibles that come alongside of how you were able to do that will translate into a job as well.
0: I'm, uh, I'm sure a lot of our listeners that have a sales background are kind of catching a lot of common themes here. But, um, I think that ultimately there is a lot of, you're, you're basically selling yourself. So you do end up kind of utilizing a lot of those types of concepts of how do I create, you know, how do I show value? You know for this potential buyer or hirer and as well as even kind of looking at the the way you were looking at the job placement numbers or even getting interviews stuff like that it's like if i'm only getting five percent interviews or emails back on things that i'm applying for or reaching out to then it's either i need to figure out how to you know get a better conversion rate and start getting more interviews for the ops that i'm reaching out to or i got to bump up those numbers but yeah i think that obviously there's a lot of sales kind of perspective here as well
2: Yeah, there is. I'm sorry to break it to anyone who's listening, but an interview is a sales pitch. Like it's a demo and you're demoing yourself. That's what you're doing.
0: Exactly. Even, yeah, you mentioned, you know, being able to, you know, on the spot, that 90 second kind of like you're selling yourself. It's an elevator elevator pitch in a way.
1: On the topic of selling yourself and it sort of becoming increasingly more difficult with the advancement of ai or at least on the surface level that's what a lot of people are seeing right away i'd be interested to hear your thoughts on the projected talent or skill set shift in the market due to some of these ai advancements specifically as it relates to uh, taking away some of those more mundane tasks that could be easily automated
2: if i'm going off of like research we've done and feedback we're getting in the market from companies that are hiring what they're looking for it's it's two things when it comes to ai number 1 is curiosity everyone's learning it right now so demonstrated curiosity of always being a learner is is a big piece of it so so be a lifelong learner uh, that's one thing that i think is a skill set that that's actually going to be very very prioritized with your ability to learn and kind of in that same vein is your adaptability to change right the advancement of AI is not going to slow down technology innovation. It's going to speed it up and it's already moving really quickly. So companies are looking for for people who know how to pivot quickly when a change comes and kind of that adaptability. So I would say adaptability and a focus on curiosity or learning are probably two Two of them, like projected talent skill sets, I would say that that are going to become more of a focus as AI continues to advance and become more and more a part of our day to day life and our day to day work.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm curious. Do you, have you done any of the like psych type um, questionnaire or like Myers Briggs types tests for like personality traits and understanding strengths and weaknesses? Any of those kind of things? Like personally. Personally, as well as like, you know, obviously seeing I, I've, I've been a part of, you know, companies that will, you know, have their teams do it and stuff like that. Yeah. Just wonder what your thoughts are on that kind of stuff.
2: Yeah, that's, it's not a service that we offer. Um, I'm definitely, I love that stuff. I'm very interested in, in it. I've done Myers-Briggs. I'm a personally a big fan of the Enneagram though. I haven't in- integrated this into a work setting though. So this is just more like how I'm wired and who I am. I don't know Have either of y'all done the Enneagram test. Yeah. All right, John, hold on. Are you a three? I am.
1: <laughs> so you're really <laughs> versed on it if you know. Uh maybe
0: that was a lucky guess. Um Zach, have you done it? Yeah, I'm trying to remember exactly which one I was. Um I couldn't tell you off the top of my head. It was a, a while ago. I did this one maybe once. Were you a seven? Enthusiastic visionary. I actually think I was more. I'm usually more on like the introverted kind of analytical side of so like a these four kids. or five. Probably it's a four or five. Yeah, like a quiet specialist. Yeah, that seems like more accurate from what yeah. I recall. Are you looking at it right now? Yep. Yeah, I had it pulled up. Can you?
2: All right, I, I want you to guess what I am. You're an eight. <laughs> you're so right. <laughs> that was on. Like, that was on.
1: You're a wrestler. Spot. You're competitive. Uh, you're very self confident, very self confident. And just through the way you speak and the things that you're trying to help other people achieve, you're very decisive. And that's what people look for when they want to get uh, positioned and staffed, right? They need somebody that are usually some of the things that they're not. They're unsure. They're not usually confident about the ecosystem they're going into. Like I've had imposter syndrome in all of these ecosystems. You know, I don't come from an EPM background coming into consulting. So that's what I wanted. I wanted a mentor, somebody in my corner. Almost like a a boxing corner coach, right? Help me out with the things I'm not seeing. Help me out with the things that I need to do and be decisive about it so I can take action. Yeah.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So number one, you're spot on. I'm I'm like full blown Enneagram (laughs) eight. But number two, you raise a good point around the mentor. Like, I think everyone struggles with imposter syndrome. Like I do too. I came into this space like very I had I didn't have spoiler alert, I didn't have a recruiting or executive search background when I jumped into this, like on my own self-employment into the EPM space, like complete imposter syndrome. Um, but for me, I had a, a mentor and a partner in Blake who encouraged me, right? And so I think that's a, that's a really good career nugget there that you talk about, John. Find a mentor who brings the best out of you. And sometimes you need that one who can tell you a hard truth. But I think more importantly than that, nine times out of 10, you need someone who can just encourage you and say, no, I get what you're feeling. I felt that before. Push forward anyway, because you can, like you have what it takes. The interview didn't go the way you wanted. You're going to get the next one, right? This project was a challenging one. What did you learn from it? How did it make you, it's going to make you better for the next one. Go into that next project with confidence. That's important. That's, it's critical. Like that's, that's, if there's like top three things you can do in your career to succeed, the first is like find a mentor who's in your corner and you have a support system. Because if you're out here doing it alone, it's much it's scary.
0: I always like to say too, um, you know, having been in mentor positions, having been mentored, I think that, you know, I, I believe that most people are good and most people want to help. They're not always like they don't always know you need the help or they're not always just going to offer it out all the time. But, you know, just asking I think doesn't hurt. You'll be surprised how many people are willing to help. And I think a lot of people are willing to help do it because they remember they can relate to the struggles and the hurdles that they had to overcome along their journey. And if they can give you insight into what those things were and how maybe you can skip out on those because somebody else, you know, took that or learned that lesson for you. um, I think that a lot of people are willing to do that. Yeah, I, I really, I couldn't agree more. Um, I think at the end of the
2: day, if you get to the end of your career and people want, the the economics need to make sense, right? Like financially people need to be hopefully as secure as they can make themselves. And that's a blessing and that's a big driver. But at the end of the day too, I think we all wanna be able to look back and say, I was able to help somebody. Most people I think wanna be able to say that. Now the execution is probably where we can all grow. <laughs> You know what I mean? But the idea and the intent is usually, is usually good. So, yeah, I, I agree. Don't be afraid to ask for help. It's actually really important and it can, it can fast track you when you ask the right people for help.
0: Absolutely. But the key there is, too, like you just said at the end, balls in your court at that point. Once you're given that knowledge and that insight, what are you going to do with it? So that's a, that's a key piece. Um, and I'll have one more question before, you know, before we wrap up here. Uh, a little bit more on the fun side as a podcast host uh, a very niche specific type podcast host um in a specialized kind of area let's take the you know take the epm aspect out of it and you're just a podcast host if you could interview anyone and ask them any you know anything who would that guest be on your show and what kind of things would you want to like know about and learn about
2: that's a good question. I'm actually gonna have to think about that for a second. Take some
0: time. We'll we'll cut if we if we need to. Just yeah, to cut out you these long think of blank it. seconds. Yeah, <laughs> I thought I might catch you off guard with this
2: one. All right, this is kind of cliche, but I think if you look at like just impact on the world, I think it would be really cool to to interview Jesus. I think that would be really cool. I think I mean just independent of what you believe about him, you can't lie that he created a movement and his teachings are interesting. And I would just want to ask him about. How
0: to live a good life that that's a very wholesome answer I love yeah. that yeah I was
1: gonna say that was an unexpected answer but it, I can tell both your eyes
2: look like this <laughs> no
1: I provoked thought where you know it would be interesting to get insight and speak to someone who taught without expecting anything in return and was so unbothered by the negativity or any of the naysayers or anything like that I think there's a less a big lesson in that right like give without Necessarily needing to get in return, right? That's a big, yeah. a big piece of it. So good answer, absolutely.
2: <laughs> and I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm kind of a data guy, like I'm not an EPM guy by technical trade, but I am a data, I'm a data person, I'm a facts person, and it's like he had 12 followers when he died, and now there's two billion. I did something right, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, um, so that's yeah. I would just really want to know about how to live a good life. But what about you guys? I'm going to flip the question back.
1: You know, I was pre-thinking about it just in case you did something like that because you're sneaky and you're a podcaster, so you know how to do that. It um, is hard
0: to beat Jesus, I will say. Yeah, I That's mean, how do you follow one.
1: that? Thanks for putting me in the middle there, there Zach. Appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, I'll let
0: you yeah, deal with the, the question right after.
1: Yeah, you know, there's so many cliche ones that people bring up and... Oh, I want to talk to Elon Musk, but he's been interviewed so many times, I feel like it wouldn't be organic enough. And, you know, I don't, maybe it might still be cliche, but I don't. I haven't seen a lot of impersonal interviews like this, but Michael Jordan, just talk to him because kind of a, a classic case of perseverance, right? He was cut from his high school basketball team, uh, a lot of doubters early on in his career, and then just always brought 100% every single time, if not more. And it's like, what? What is your drive? Like, what was your main drive to be the best, to do what you did, you know, all around decent guy, but obviously he has his trash talking in there and his weird ways of motivating people. But I think it would be interesting to go more in depth than The Last Dance did on on some of his mentalities.
0: That's a good one. I think I would would agree with you, but just like... It wouldn't even have to be a podcast. I would just want to be like in Jordan's presence back in his heyday, like in the 90s, mid-90s yeah. when he's, you know, the back-to-back three-peat and just to feel the intensity Fairly, of that just give me type of a person. S- give me
2: some of that. I just <laughs> want to
0: know what that intensity is like because, it, it, you know, you hear the stories and obviously you see the uh, what happened. I mean, the guy meant what he said and he followed up on it and that type of competitiveness and... um just mentality I think is probably unlike like you think you know people like that, but then, I mean, there's one Michael Jordan, right? Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. Did you see the movie air? Not yet. That's a good
2: one. I enjoyed it. I would recommend it's on my list. Yeah. That's one of the best business decisions I've ever seen.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I would agree. Yeah. I would like to, there's one that I have a personal like uh, that's probably my favorite soccer player of all time and that's Andrea Pirlo but I'd also throw and and I don't even I just kind of became a fan of him recently but Nikola Jokic just because they both kind of have a similar perspective at being at the top of their game um Andrea Pirlo won a world cup with Italy and all sorts of other things and Jokic just won the NBA championship mul- multiple MVP winner and the funny thing is is that um just how they were able to disconnect themselves from the, the game and the, the, the fame of it all and the celebrity of it all. And they're, bo- they're, they're both very just down to earth people and that's their job. And then they go home and they live normal lives and they're very aware of that distinction. And I, I just think that, you know, how do you kind of, I can't imagine being in that type of a position, let alone how do you keep your head on straight and how do you stay grounded in reality? And I, I think that that, that they're real, two really good, unique kind of people that have done that.
2: That's a good answer. Like, how do you get so focused on honing your craft and being the best, yet also be relatable and engage with your family, engage in relationships? That's a, that's a tough balance because you only have so much energy and mental capacity.
0: Yeah. It, it, you know, and that even relates to, you know, organizations and things of that nature with leadership. Like, how do you stay connected to you know, the people on the ground floor, the people that are, you know, handling the day-to-day transactions and understanding what they're going through and things of that nature. That's a whole other podcast episode. We'll save that for a later date, Chad. But ultimately, I just want to say thank you for joining us. Obviously, um, I I loved being on your show, but uh, I I think we loved having you on our show uh, more. So um, we appreciate you joining us and kind of giving us your unique insight. John, Zach, thanks for having me. Appreciate it.
1: Thank you for listening to the Best Practice Podcast. We hope you have gained a few valuable insights from our guests and hosts during this episode. If you would like to hear more best practices, be sure to subscribe and follow along so you can catch every episode as we release them to the community on a weekly basis.